a really quick and exciting announcement to make. The Menopause and Cancer podcast is now also on YouTube, and I'm so excited that more people now get to watch our conversations. So the link to the YouTube channel is in our show notes. Please go and subscribe to the channel so that more people who need to hear our conversations are able to find them. Thank you. Hi, I'm Danny Bennington and welcome to my podcast. This podcast is for anyone who's been affected by cancer and menopause. I'll be speaking to special guests and menopause experts to help us find solutions to our symptoms and of course address the greater picture. We're going to talk about everything from mental health to physical health, sexual health to bone health and everything in between. Nothing is off limits. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited. Today, we've got the amazing Professor Dillo on the show, who's going to talk to us about a new revolutionary treatment to help with the reduction of menopausal hot flushing. It's a non-hormonal treatment, and I think this is going to be a game changer, in particular for everyone who's had a cancer diagnosis and where hormone replacement therapy isn't an option. And so I'm really excited to talk about that today. It's incredible. We've got so many amazing people on the podcast. And today's guest is exactly one of those incredible people. Professor Dillo is a professor in endocrinology and metabolism. He's a consultant endocrinologist and an NIHR senior investigator. And when I first emailed his secretary and asked, um, you know, a normal email address to Imperial College London. And I just thought maybe I'll just try my luck to see if someone would even get back to me. When they actually got back to me, it was a real pinch me moment. It's incredible that all these super, super leaders in their fields are coming onto our podcast to help us understand our options a little bit more. And so I'm really grateful for that. And I'm also really grateful for so many of you who have reached out in the last few weeks and said, Danny, I want to help you and I want to support you on your mission. What can I do? We've had women say, Danny, I want to become your ambassador. I want to distribute leaflets. I want to tell everyone about the podcast. It's been life changing for me. Some people have called it life saving. And so thank you, because there is a little team of us now you know, initially it was just me and I started this podcast and I thought, oh, I hope someone is going to listen. (laughs) But now there are thousands and thousands of you listening and there is a huge community of us and there are many more people who want to get involved. If you think there is something you can do, copyright, uh, distribute leaflets, organize a fundraiser, help with my new not-for-profit, menopause and cancer, then reach out because maybe together we can form a most amazing team. So yeah, so many things to be grateful for. And Professor Dillo has been researching this new drug, non-hormonal drug to help with menopause or hot flushing for many, many years now. And when I asked him what he was hoping that the reduction would be, this was his answer. And I'll play that for you in a moment. But actually, the reduction in menopause or hot flushes is up to 70%. And this is what they were hoping for. So with most scientific breakthroughs, we're talking about 10 to 20% reduction 
you know, you'd be over the moon. Uh, so wow. we, we, we rarely get such a breakthrough. And I think that's because we've understood the science. We've understood the final common pathway that causes the menopausal flush. And when you block that pathway, that's where you're getting such a big reduction. So obviously we were delighted when we we, we saw those results that it was having, having such a big impact. Incredible. Now that's exciting, right? To think that they were hoping for a 10% uh, reduction in hot flushes and that actually the treatment they're working on is giving a benefit of over 70% of a reduction of menopause to hot flushes. How exciting. Let's have the conversation. I hope I've asked all the questions that you are also really, really, really burning to know. Hope you enjoyed this conversation and it fills you with as much hope and positivity looking forward as it does me. Thank you for joining me today on the podcast. No problem. It's a pleasure. So before we dive into all of the exciting research that has happened in your world, can you tell us a little bit about you so that we all know who I'm talking to today? Okay, so I'm Waljit Dillo. I'm a professor of endocrinology and metabolism at Imperial College London. So I graduated in 1994 from St. Bartholomew's Hospital Medical School and then did my junior doctor training and then did a PhD as part of my training uh, for three years, which wasn't on reproductive medicine, was on separate appetite pathways. Then I went back to training and then got involved back in research at that point after um, completing my clinical training uh, and initially got involved in, in some research looking at a new hormone that affects reproductive function. And in fact, there's uh, neurons in the brain, nerve cells in the brain that express three hormones. Um, um, and one of them in particular is called Cuspeptin, which stimulates the reproductive axis. But the one that's relevant for this call is um, neurokinin B. So that uh, it's a hormone that's produced in the brain. Uh, and as we'll talk about, is uh, subsequently found to be involved in menopausal flushing. Yeah, because in all the previous episodes and with all of my guests, we focus so much on estrogen. And yeah. many people who've had a cancer diagnosis are <clears throat> often told that hormone replacement therapy is not an option for them. Yeah. And so we sit there and we worry and we think, gosh, the whole world seems to go on HRT and it's not an option for me. And we think all of our symptoms are to do with that estrogen and that uh -huh. drop in estrogen. I think that's the narrative. Uh -huh. But what I hear from you is you weren't looking at how we can replace the estrogen. Can you explain to us a little bit about what happens when we have a hot flush or a mm -hmm. night sweat Yeah, and why it's not just the estrogen that matters? <clears throat> okay. So the estrogen is incredibly important. So I think what we've known about for many years, decades really is, you know, as, as everybody knows, menopause is caused when uh, the women's eggs essentially run out. So you're born with a, a fixed number of eggs if you're female and then basically you don't grow anymore. And so they basically, uh, what's called in medical terms, apoptose, but essentially die over time very slowly. Uh, and once they've all run out, that's the menopause. And the eggs obviously are producing estrogens and, and that um, is uh, useful from a reproductive point of view, but also um, estrogen affects many of the symptoms that obviously then cause uh, menopause or flushing when you don't have it uh, and menopause symptoms. So that's been known about, uh, and I guess you could just say low estrogen at menopause, lots of symptoms, including vasomotor symptoms. But the, the obvious, the next step is, well, there's a black box in the middle. How does the estrogen cause those things? It's not low estrogen suddenly in the skin that's causing it or 
um, you know, giving you low mood. You know, the estrogen is going around the blood, but how does that give you then low mood, depression, all those other things that it does? Uh, and in particular, in terms of uh, brain pathways, we know that menopausal flushing, for example, is controlled by an area of the brain. So you could say, well, the low estrogen is causing doing something and then affecting that area of the brain that causes vasomotor symptoms. But how does it do that? There must be a pathway. Um, and actually, the credit for this work uh, comes from uh, a researcher in the States who's a basic scientist who worked for about 20 years. So, you know, we, we know that low estrogen causes the flushes, but how does it do that? We don't know. We can't obviously take women's brains and chop them up and see what's going on. And so, so what we do is use animal models. And, and she actually developed an animal model of menopausal flushing because um, obviously uh, rats can't tell you that they're having a menopausal flush. So what she right. decided to do was take rats, take their ovaries out surgically. So essentially the ovaries then failed. And uh, and then she put a cuff on the um, tail of the rat. And every time the cuff then, uh, and the cuff was thermosensitive, so it would pick up temperature changes. And so every time the rat had a, a, effectively a menopausal flush, if you like, the cuff would light up. So now she had basically, if you like, a, ro- a rat model of a menopausal woman which most people I think would laugh at on the street, but actually that's what led to the to, to the discovery because unless you understand, and that's that's the problem with all of those other treatments other than estrogen, why you don't get rid of the flushing is because they weren't, you don't know the pathway. Until you know the pathway, what are you targeting? You're just throwing things at it like antidepressants and other things, and they have a bit of an effect, but they're, they're not really going to work because you don't know what that pathway is. So if I can't you like, help but think that I'm one of those rats because I've had my yeah. ovaries taken out and I'm yeah. a human version of exactly. the experiment, exactly. aren't yeah. I? Yeah. yeah. So, so her version is, 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 if you like, not necessarily a natural menopause because obviously that happens over years, but, you know, surgical menopause, if you like. But, you know, if you ask, you know, the average person on the street, they might laugh at that model. But actually what she was then able to do, and she's a neuroscientist, is then work out the brain pathways and to cut, you know, her 20 years of... Uh, research into you know a few uh, sentences about 20 years ago she showed in human menopausal uh, women's brains who died of say a road traffic accident or something else the ones that were postmenopausal had a higher uh, had uh, hypertrophy or um, as we call the medical term but basically a bigger area in those neuro bigger neurons in the brain in a specific area and those were the what turned out to be the cuspectin neurokine and b dynorphin neurons so this is in humans postmenopausal women compared to human premenopausal women those neurons were bigger so that's the first okay. evidence and, and then what she did was using this animal model use very sophisticated uh, scientific techniques to say well which bit of those that that neuron is then involved in causing menopausal flush so now we've got a model where she's taken uh, a rat taken its ovaries out and she's got a mechanism by which she can see how they, that they're flushing with the tail cuff now what she can do is start manipulating parts of the brain using various scientific techniques and saying, well, what happens if I take out, um, you know, this part of the pathway? Does that get rid of the flushing? So what she did over a series of experiments was then say, it looks like it's the cuspectin neurokine and B-dynorphin neurons, what's called the candy neurons in the brain. Those were the ones that were bigger in postmenopausal women. And when you lesion those and they don't work, you didn't get the flush. Wow. So, yeah, so that was the first bit of experiment. And then the next thing is, well, which bit of that neuron is involved? And then again, using a series of experiments, she was able to show that the neuropeptide neurokinin B 
was the one that um, was causing the flush. So now we have a model where actually instead of estrogen black box something there that's causing the flush, we've now got mm-hmm. estrogen acting on the neurokinin B, which goes up in menopause, and that causes the flush. And okay, so at the mo- at the moment, yeah, this model sits with a, a scientist in America. How does yeah. this end up in your on your desk? Yeah, so so we were do- we were looking at neurokinin B at that time uh, to look at its effects on reproductive hormones because if you don't ah. have neurokinin B, you it's also involved in puberty, and so actually we'd been administering neurokinin B to um, men and women. Uh, and it didn't really do a lot because um, it's most m- most important in puberty and in adult life in terms of reproductive hormones, you, it's not so important. But what we did notice when we gave the neurokinin B to premenopausal women, as well as healthy men, in fact, was that they flushed. And we just thought, well, that's just, you know, a side effect of the peptide. Uh, and then we were sitting in um, in a conference where she first presented the data uh, and she said, I think neurokinin B is the cause of menopausal flushing in a rodent model. And of course, because we'd already seen that neurokinin wow. B humans causes flushing, we then kind of the three of us who were doing the study looked around at each other at the room and there's a light bulb moment where we thought, right, this could actually be the thing that is causing menopausal flushing. And then if if we know that neurokinin B is the thing that's causing, causing menopausal flushing, we then need to get a, a drug that will block neurokinin B, what's called a neurokinin. Uh, so neurokinin B acts on the neurokinin 3 receptor. And if you block the receptor, then theoretically, from this animal model where the rodents have been, you know, had their ovaries taken out, and you've got a cuff on their tail, that would lead to a new treatment for menopausal flushing. You know, uh, so, so, so that's kind of, you know, and I think I'm laboring this point, because I think people often say, well, why do we need animal experiments? That's why for 50 years, we haven't had any breakthrough and the drugs don't work. So um, to cut a long story short, what we then did was go back to premenopausal women, infuse them with neurokinin B and say, well, let's do it in a proper controlled temperature environment. Was the side effect that we were seeing real or, or was it, you know, and actually what we found, um, having got all the control con- conditions in our research facility, brought healthy women in who are premenopausal, and remember they've got low neurokinin B in their brain. When we infuse them with neurokinin B, eight out of ten of them flushed. Whereas when they wow. had the whereas when they had the saline kind of control, which is salt water, none of them flushed. So, so that you then, had your proof. You had so your proof. well, we had our, or... our, our, our it, that added weight to her evidence that yeah. okay, you've got this rodent model, but in humans, the same seems to be true. And then the next race to the is obviously well, what if we can block the neurokinin? be acting so neurokinin b will act on its receptor in the brain the nk3 receptor and so can we block the nk3 receptor uh, and at this point we turn to to the literature and the neurokinin 3 receptor blockers the antagonists had been used by the pharma by pharmaceutical companies because they thought uh, a while ago that it might be involved in schizophrenia and so they'd done all of the animal testing that you need on these compounds they're taken these compounds into humans and actually it didn't work for schizophrenia so their model was wrong but what that meant was they had spent several you know millions tens of millions of pounds developing compounds that were ready for human use that blocked the neurokinin 3 receptor and so mm-hmm. we wrote to astrazeneca i wrote to the ceo of astrazeneca uh pane mangalos who's now sir pane mangalos um and i said we're interested in your compound in menopausal flushing and and he said well that's very interesting we're not interested in that area particularly but we'd be very happy to if you can get a grant you know to to do the study we will then give you the compound so it basically fast forwarded what we might be able to do by about five to ten years because we'd have to develop the compound 
Amazing. And so, so, mm. so, so we then applied for a grant from the Medical Research Council and the National Institute for Health Research, which importantly is taxpayers' money that funds research in the UK. They funded the study, AstraZeneca gave us the compound. Within two years, we were able to show that the compound had a 73% reduction in menopausal flushing, which was way beyond anything that we thought might happen. Wow. So from that time, when you met with your two colleagues and you decided uh, yeah. you had this light bulb moment to mm-hmm. today, yeah. how much time has gone by? What t- Tell me, because I really uh, have no idea. All of our listeners, we want to know what does this mean? Yeah. So prob- in total, it's probably about eight years now. I mean, wow. Naomi Rance's research was probably 20 years to get to the answer in animals. Yes. And then our research from the time we started to the time we delivered was five years because we were doing the studies initially in healthy women and then we moved into the trial but from yeah. the tar- from the from the start of the trial to the end of the trial within 2 years we'd shown that you get a, a massive reduction in menopausal flushing okay. um and, and to be honest did we really think it was going to cause such a big effect no because with brain pathways there's often so so I don't think it's just estrogen and the neurokinin B in the flushing I think there's probably estrogen a dozen pathways but all of them, I think, are converging or most of them are converging on that final neurokinin B. And so if you like, you know, you've got all these A roads and they're leading to the motorway and then we've yeah. hit the motorway. And that's why it's yeah. caused because, you know, it's it's almost unbelievable the, the, the magnitude of effect. And then another company were doing, you know, similar studies with another compound it had exactly the same effect. So. There's absolutely no doubt in, in different populations. So we were, you know, is it was it a London phenomenon in our, you know, in northwest London? No, because actually they did a study in Brussels, they've done studies now in the States, and we're in phase three, and, and the efficacy is beyond is is not really in doubt. It's they're they're now doing the big studies for safety and and hopefully we'll have a drug on the market that's non-hormonal and safe for patients, uh, you know, with cancer, with um or, or others who have got risk of breast cancer or others, you know, who who just don't want that extra risk. So I know. Um, and you know, there will be people listening to us who have yeah. tears in their eyes because yeah. so many women struggle so, so, so severely with the late yeah. effects of their cancer treatments. Yeah. So there is a drug now. What's the yeah. drug called? So there's uh, the drug that's kind of ahead of the game with the others is called Fezolinotant. Um, okay. And it's uh, the company called Astellas have done the kind of, so our study was kind of 40 patients. So proof of concept, it worked. They've now done um, big trials in kind of over a thousand patients in different populations and uh, reporting good data. So they've now actually filed uh, an FDA patent for approval so that hopefully the drug will be on the market in the next year or so. Um, Amazing. So when you tried this on patients, did any of these uh, females, did they include uh, people with a history of cancer or were they no. healthy premenopausal or postmenopausal? Yeah. What was that audience? So, so, so the, the the study that we did were um, essentially postmenopausal women that were having more than seven hot flushes a day. Uh, okay. So the study, so in the end, the people we actually recruited ended up having an average of about 84 flushes per week. And the reason we chose that was if we're not going to have a big effect, then what's the point? You know, it, it needs to have a big effect. Um, the other thing is, is the the FDA kind of their rules are that if you're going to kind of go for licensing, you know, and, and show efficacy, then they would like to, you to show it in a, a severe group of patients where they're having more than seven hot flushes a day. So that's where that comes from. So all of those studies that you'll see are in that group. Uh, and obviously, if if somebody's having severe flushes, it's it, it'll be then easier to see an effect because obviously you're starting yes. with a higher baseline. But 
you know, the, the magnitude of effect was the other important thing is that you have a placebo arm. So these studies need to be done properly. So you basically, for our study, we basically gave women four weeks of treatment with either the dummy drug, which looks exactly the same as the neurocanin three receptor antagonist. And then you have a two week washout period and they go on the other, on the other drug and they don't know what they're taking, but this was so effective that actually the women knew straight away within a day or two, they said, I'm on the drug. And we were like, no, 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 you don't know that because we didn't know that, but they knew straight away because their flushes. Wow. When, obviously, when we, when we unblinded the study, which is when you look at the data, because you don't, you, so as the investigators and the patients, they don't know what their results are. They they can obviously feel it because they'll know their switch it, you know, it works so well that they're, that all most of the women were basically telling us, I know exactly when I when I was on the drug and when can I have it. This is so exciting. Just today yeah. I was talking to a lady who is post-chemotherapy. Yep. She's started on tamoxifen and yep. an aroma letrozole, I think yep. it is. Yep. And as we were sitting talking, she came up in a hot flush. So my yep. question to you is, yep. does it matter if a woman is on an aromatase inhibitor or tamoxifen? And that is why she yep. has these hot flushes, like a medically induced menopause, yep. <clears throat> or do these people need to be going through a natural menopause for the yep. new drug to be effective? So that's a good question, but I would bet my house on the fact that it will work. So there is a study going on in, I think, patients with breast cancer in the States as we speak, that Stellis, I think, have funded. Um, but if you, again, it goes back to, you know, how do we know this? Well, we don't. But what we do know is the physiology now. So if you work out the yes. pathway, so if we're saying it's low estrogen that's causing the high neurocannabin B that's causing the flushing. And therefore, if we block the neurocannabin B, it will block the flushes. It doesn't really matter how you lower the estrogen, that's still going to induce the flushes. And in fact, men with prostate cancer will also benefit because it's the same mechanism. It's the low testosterone. Yeah, yes. obviously it's men and it's the, the, the other hormone, but it's the same Absolutely. principle. And so actually, if, if you know, and, and you can quote me if I'm wrong in five years time when the data comes out, um, <laughs> you know, patients with uh, breast cancer or other cancers that are hormone sensitive, you know, and they their estrogens are, and remember those women will suffer probably even more than a normal menopause because yes. a normal menopause is really bad if you get these symptoms, which is the women we were choosing deliberately. But actually, if you crash the estrogens overnight, not over a three to four year period, that the, you know the flushing is going to be even worse so actually you know it will probably have if anything a bigger effect in those women and also in men with prostate cancer so men with prostate cancer again you shut down their testosterone deliberately with drugs medically castrate them um and their their testosterone falls and they have the same hot flushes as, as women do which they wouldn't obviously yes. normally get so yes. actually it's it you know and we had lots we've had literally hundreds of emails over the last few years you know after our studies were published saying when's this going to be available and i think it's going to have you know a massive quality of life impact on a lot of people that you know have got severe flushing yeah and when you worked on all of this were yeah. were there any contraindications that were quite obvious like are there contraindications to high blood pressure or if people are insulin resistant or you know yeah. how there's usually yeah. something <laughs> so the only thing that we noticed in our first study was um in in a few of the patients the liver enzymes uh so in the blood went up and so there's been that that's what what you need to do is when you show a new drug works you can't do it in 40 patients then roll out to the world what you need to then do which is what pharma pharma companies come in and spend tens of millions you know doing is doing the really large studies so what they've so what Astellas have done and other companies following with their compound is do the really large studies and show that it's safe 
and they'll tell us, you know, that the FDA will say, you know, the, the regulators will tell you what you need to do for safety. But, you know, it's a it's a tablet. It's taken once a day and it pretty much eliminates your flushes. So, you know, if you have to do some liver blood tests to make sure they don't change, as you know, you do, for for example, cholesterol tablet, I don't think is you know going to be a particularly big deal. I think it's going to have so much of an impact for so many women. Absolutely. Um, it'd be very it's, it, I mean, it's incredibly exciting. And did those women feel any other sort of negative side effects? Did they feel dizzy or dry mouth or any of the other sort of? Yeah, I mean, those studies will come out. I mean, in the study we did, they were, you know, um, even the patients who had, you know, some uh, liver blood tests that went off a little bit, they almost refused to come back because they said, I don't know why you're doing these, but we have to legally by ethics, you know, then make sure the blood tests have come back. So the important thing was the liver blood test normalized in the one, you know, in the four patients where there was an abnormality that was very minor um, as soon as they stopped the drug. So there was no, you know, okay. issues there. Now, again, what, what you need to do is the really large studies and say, you know, which is what's going on now, um, which is not really the science. It's how effective are they and how safe are they? Those are two things that people want to know. And from yeah. the data I've seen, and they presented the data, you know, um, last year at the American meeting, and a, a, there's been a publication this year in the Lancet from that compound, and it looks very promising. So, you know, hopefully this will be available in the next year. I mean, it is incredibly exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Because yeah. from speaking to so many women, they might have tried a couple of other mm-hmm. medications that are a little bit more old fashioned. And in yeah. the last few years, like you said, the only really option was to go on a low dose of an antidepressant. And yeah. we felt so unhurt, so yeah. unspoken about yeah. from science perspective or a medical yeah. clinician sort of perspective. Yeah. How long do you see the time frame from now to us patients in the uk who've been affected by cancer and menopause for this to be accessible so at the moment there i I don't know whether i were the european uh, agency but the uh, the the fda the american agency is reviewing the documents now though i think they were submitted in august so with the data they've got i would hope you know in the next six months or a year it would be available in the states and you know then the license will obviously come around the world following that in terms of the data that women with, uh, you know, any form of cancer would need, that would come downstream. But actually, the kind of people who we've been talking to who treat, um, you know, patients who have had cancer and can't take menopause or flushing and can't take the drug off label. I mean, personally, as a physician, I'd be very happy to prescribe it. You know, you yes, say to yeah. women, look, we, we don't know that it's completely safe in you know, because it hasn't been tried in those patients. But again, you know, I'd bet my house that, it, that there's there's going to be absolutely no issues if it's, you know, mm. and it'll have a massive impact. And you can, the good thing is it's short acting. If they had any issues, they can just stop it. It's not, you know, it's not going to be a problem. The other thing that we did was the question we got asked by one of our colleagues, actually, at a meeting was, well, okay, you know, you're not going to get the data in, you know, women with cancer for a, a while. And, you know, the drug companies, they have to start with, essentially a low risk population because obviously yes. let's just say a woman progressed with their cancer for not related to the drug it then has knock-on effects etc so that's why the the studies have been done in essentially um people going through a normal menopause uh, and you know we kind of said to the drug companies early on we'd be very happy to do a study in women with breast cancer and also in in, in men with prostate cancer and they said well those studies are gonna have to wait because obviously you need to get the license and i kind of get that because once we've got the license to be honest we will start looking at those those patients and and so one of the things we got asked um, was we showed in our original paper that the neurocanin three receptor antagonist don't change the estrogen, but that that, that was on a, 
a standard assay. And of course, anybody anybody who's looking at the data, who's worried about the estrogen, and there can be feedback mechanisms in this. You know, if if you block one part of the pathway, does the estrogen go up even a tiny bit? So we worked okay. with we worked with a group in Manchester who can me- measure estrogen levels at very low levels. And so we look, we 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 sent the samples from the women, um, you know, in the original study, and there's absolutely none. So you know, <sighs> the people we've talked to um, would be very happy to essentially what's called off-label. So so basically, when a drug's yes. first licensed, it's licensed for the group that you tested it in, and then it can take many years for people to say, well, you know, I haven't I haven't seen the data yet. It's going to take three or four years for women with cancer, and therefore I can't use it. But actually, as a physician, if you know that that data is sensible, you can talk to the patient and say, look, it's been trialed in this group. You've got the same thing. This is the physiology. I can't prescribe it with a license, but I can prescribe it off-label if you're happy with that. And that's mm. what I think so most people will do. Is that a little bit like many GPs now prescribe testosterone to women, yeah, which exactly. is off-license, isn't it? Exactly. Because we know it's it can be thing. so powerful. Yeah. Okay, so right, I get exactly it. Exactly the same thing, yeah. So you'd need to counsel people until we get the data. But I mean, that's the same for any... The main thing will be the safety data that you know is coming through, and that's looking very promising. Mm. I mean, I could think of a whole horde of women who would want yeah. to go on your next trial. If yeah. you need people with a cancer yeah. diagnosis, you just need to email us. Yeah. <laughs> and we've already been knocking on your door yeah. because yeah. we would want to be part. Yeah. I mean, what, how exciting for you yeah. to have been part of something so monumental. Yeah. And you're no, still it, it, it's making been very waves. Exciting. Yeah, no, absolutely. Really and, and, and there may be other areas where these drugs can be useful as well. And, you know, um, it's not in the menopause necessarily field, but in other reproductive areas so it's in, it's really incredibly exciting the other thing that i think is going to be interesting is is the weight weight changes so there is some data in animals that in fact these drugs can be useful in terms of preventing weight gain so obviously women through menopause can uh, the estrogens are thought to lower appetite and when you go through menopause the appetite can increase and weight can increase and obviously that can give you um, risk factors for heart disease etc and uh, and so that data will be interesting as well but you know, if anything, it's it's preventing weight gain rather than causing any weight gain. So, so and far, it's looking like a like a a really clean drug. From what I've read, you are very interested in the area of weight as well, aren't you? Yeah, that is another right. one of your sort yeah. of yeah. Yeah. Um, it'll be fascinating to hear more from you. Maybe you can update us in six months or eight months yeah. <laughs> to, well, to I mean, tell us know, where we're as, at. As soon as the drugs are available, you know, so so when we first started the studies, you know, we were we were given the drugs for free and nobody was interested. But as soon as the drug companies <laughs> are interested, then obviously they have to, you know, I mean, I, you know, I don't blame them because they have to, you know, I, I think pharma sometimes get a bad press, but actually the studies they do are incredibly expensive and incredibly well done. And people yeah. don't appreciate that they're done to a really high standard. You know, and the the the, the study they've just published, they've got a couple now that is published in the Lancet. It's top-notch, done, and it's usually done by mm-hmm. investigators, you know. So we do the early phase studies, so we don't get involved in the later phase studies, but they're done, you know, um in, in to a very high standard. So I think mm-hmm. you know, you're you're not gonna get a publication in the Lancet unless it's a very, very high standard, and they're done incredibly well. So yeah. they're really important that they're done because it particularly for menopausal flushing there's a big what's called placebo element so if you give a sugar pill because you know somebody's listening to you it's going to help a bit and cognitive behavioral therapy you know talking therapy yes. can help a bit as well so therefore you have to do these studies um against placebo with a dummy tablet mm. because if you don't yeah. you don't see the real effect of the drug 
And that's where yeah. some of the other studies have fallen down. People try X, Y, and Z, and of course it works because of the bias, because the person thinks they're taking something. Yes, so, and they're hopeful, um, aren't they? Because we want yeah. so many women struggle with so many exactly. things, not just hot flushes. You're yeah. really hoping that yeah. something is going to work for you, especially yeah. if you're up five times a night with a yeah. night sweat. Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing that's relevant is actually the government have, have woken up to the fact that 51% of the population happens to be female and have now got a women's health minister and a women's health advocate. And there's now for the from for first time, really, for funding, um, there's a big uh, emphasis on women's health. Um, I mean, you know, yes, diabetes is important. Cancer is important. Uh, you know, cardiovascular disease is important. But equally, people's quality of life and women's health is incredibly important. I think it's been neglected yeah. for a long time. And I'm so grateful you're on our podcast today because I want to speak to the minority of the minority. You know, the menopause yeah. conversation, like, you know, has exploded over the last few years. And yeah. I appreciate all of it so much. Yeah. And at the same time, people like myself have felt excluded. I love mm. Davina McCall. I love mm. Dr. Liz Newsom. I love mm. all the documentaries mm. and mm. everything that's happened on the telly. Yeah. I'm like all out there in front of the mm. Houses of Parliament campaigning yeah. with everyone else. And at the yeah. same time, I have thousands of women mm. that are walking alongside of me thinking, mm. and what about us? My mm. treatment options mm. are different. Mm-hmm. We only have 100 menopause specialists yeah. in the UK yeah. and no one listens to me. And at yeah. the same time, mm. we have this problem mm. that we don't want to feel as if yeah. we're moaning yeah. because we've yeah. survived cancer yeah and yeah. O- and often we don't want to see and talk to our clinicians yeah. saying yeah. how difficult it is yeah. because we feel we're so grateful to be alive so there's yeah. a bit of a double-edged sword there yeah. i think forgotten but, but on I, the one I, side and yeah. yeah but i think it's a healthy debate to have because you know it is life just about living no it's about quality yeah. of life I so mean, if you can't if we can't do anything about it fine you have to live with it but actually if we can then i think it's incredibly important that yes we have to t- you know do lots of other things as well but you know unless we're kind of going back to caveman days we want to live a life that's actually you know people are living longer but actually less quality and actually it's incredibly important if we're going to be alive that you know it, if there are treatments out there that we have the best life that we can you know and you know what i love about it the most is that it adds another option to our yeah. toolbox yeah. like men with prostate cancer they yeah. have loads of options to help yeah. with their erectile dysfunction yeah. we have nothing yeah. so far but yeah. this will add something back in our yeah. box and i love yeah. that so much yeah amazing thank you thank you thank you for everyone listening it is a friday afternoon and you have given us your free time to be here today to educate us inform us and inspire us so i can't thank you enough <laughs> No problem. It's a complete pleasure. And, uh, you know, it's it's incredibly rewarding as a scientist to, if you're medically trained, to then, you know, be involved in something that will, you know, hopefully make a huge difference to millions of patients around the world. So. And I'm really hoping that in a few years' time we will get to sit back together and I will bring many women on here to tell you how much their life has changed. Yeah. Because of what you've been working on. Well, and as I say, I think it's, you know, it goes back to, you know, a couple of important points, which is this country is really good at research. The government supports it without the people listening on the call and taxpayers funding research. We weren't about to make this breakthrough. So it's incredibly important for people to understand that you need to understand the pathways. It's not a quick fix. You know, this has come after 20 years of, you know, animal research and then taking into humans. But actually, I think this country is incredibly um, and the government, I have to say, are incredibly supportive of medical research in this country and supporting breakthroughs. And we do pound for pound better than most countries with the research that we do in terms of the breakthroughs that we come up with. That's amazing.
Thank you. Thank you. And um, yeah, I'm sure we will talk again. It's exciting stuff and I'm feeling really hopeful. So that's fantastic. Good. Good. (laughs) Nice to talk to you all. Lovely to talk to you. Take care. Wow. What an exciting conversation and what a brilliant man. And I was so excited and really curious to find out how long it takes for these drugs to be developed, how it works. And I hope you found the conversation with Professor Diller as interesting as I did. There is much hope for us in the future. And although the drug isn't quite yet available for us, and it might take a few more months, I think very, very soon on the podcast, I'll be probably speaking to a person who's been on the next trial or who's been one of the first in the country to access this treatment. So let's keep talking. Let's keep looking for all these new and exciting things of research because a lot is happening and it's exciting to know that we've got options. And with that, I'm wishing you a good rest of your day, whatever you're doing, wherever you're at right now. Please go and follow the show. If you haven't already, try and review the podcast because it'll just mean other people will listen to it too. And don't forget to reach out to us. Hello at Healthy Homey. If you want to get involved somehow and want to help us on our mission to make menopause and cancer a much more informed, educated and positive experience for all of us.